Hello. This is, uh, I'm just continuing with chapter one. Um, I may, I don't know if it's, I don't know if I'm using the right term correctly, but I may have to break the fourth wall at times because if I, while I'm reading, I find something that is blatantly bad, I'm gonna want to edit, edit the text. This, this is not a finished product at all. So even though I'm I can remember, I think I'm in with the second draft. It's that I don't I don't like editing, it's very boring, so it's going very slowly. But the the reading helps. So continuing with chapter one. I walked the familiar streets towards St Kilda in the early morning cold. It was just before dawn and I'd woken only about half an hour ago. I was on my way to breakfast. On work days, I never ate at home, preferring instead to breakfast in one of the many cafes between my flat and the office. I had developed this habit as a way of trying to keep work and home separated. I thought of it as a small act of rebellion against my urge to work more than was perhaps healthy, and my employer's willingness to accept this overwork. St Kilda had a different kind of life at this hour to what it normally did. Deliveries of all kinds were taking place. Shopkeepers were preparing for the day ahead. Chairs and tables were being set out. Chalkboard signs were being written and shutters were being unlocked and rolled up. It was as if the covers were opened up. The stylish clothing exchanged for overalls, the inner workings exposed. Seeing the area this way gave me a comfort that the ambience of Segilda was a consequence of the way it was and not just something contrived to attract tourists. I was reassured that the style and the look was an emergent property of the odd collection of personalities who lived here and the kinds of services and businesses they needed and attracted. The cafe that I was heading towards was close to where I worked. It was an old bluestone house that had been renovated and converted into a multi-room cafe. It was surrounded by a stone and wrought iron fence and within that was a lawn with plants that could have belonged to any ordinary home. I pushed open the gate and walked up to the front door and walked through hang on I've got a mistake I'll just read that again I pushed open the gate and walked through the front door over what I believe was the original wooden doorstep it was worn into a dish shape and polished from years of usage I went up to the counter and acknowledged the owner George with a quick nod and a hello. I had no need I had no need to place an order as my breakfast was always the same. I paid and then went to sit at, at a table I prefer that gave me a good view of the people walking past on the footpath in front. I've just realised I think I need a pop filter. But deep enough in the cafe to provide a good separation from the outside world. I liked George because he didn't seem to mind that I hardly ever spoke. He seemed not to be concerned that even though I had known him for years, he didn't know my name or anything about me. As I waited for breakfast, I let myself soak up the ambience of the place. I loved it here. The rough wooden floors, the uncomfortable bent wood chairs, and the, the amazing smells of the kitchen and the coffee machine. After a few minutes, the coffee and the most amazing plate of scrambled eggs arrived. I didn't, I didn't know if they made the bread themselves, but I wouldn't have been surprised. You might think scrambled eggs on toast are a simple meal that wouldn't be much different once you'd got to a certain quality. 
What I was eating proved that scrambled eggs were not simple. This food was a miracle. I'd have loved to watch how it was made, but I never asked. I couldn't begin to replicate it, and I suppose that George cooked this breakfast without a thought, producing it by habit and after long practice. Sorry, put producing it by habit after long practice. I read as I ate, occasionally looking up and staring out of the window in front of me. I ate slowly and carefully, dragging the ritual out until, in the end, my conscience told me it was time finally to get to work. I stood, looked back to George, nodding to him and thanking him. Then I walked to 50 metres to the automatic doors of my office building. My cubicle was on the second floor. I got over this and turned left and left again. Many of the cubicles I passed were empty. Many people here worked from late morning till late into the night. No one looked up as I walked past. I could see from the monitors visible as I walked past that most were already deeply immersed in their work, or there were a few, although there were a few browsing the internet. <clears throat> I reached the group of cubicles where my workstations, where my workstation was located. None of my co-workers had arrived. I stood for a moment, looking out of the window, down at the familiar view. A wooden fence separated a cobbled laneway from the rear walls of a double group of double-storey renovated older-style units. Through one window I could see a small white kitchen table. A young man was sitting eating breakfast and he was talking to someone out of my view to his right. Then I turned and sat down in front of my workstation and logged on. I checked my mail but nothing new had arrived since Friday. Soon I was working on my first defect, completely lost in the debugging process, not noticing anything much in my surroundings. I continued in this manner through most of the morning. I'd get coffee occasionally and quite often just get up and walk around the cubicles. Sometimes in the kitchen I'd have a quick technical conversation with whoever was there at the time. Even when most of the cubicles were filled, the office remained quiet. Most of the ordinary work-related conversation was conducted using a chat program. So I'm going to read that again. Most of the ordinary work-related conversation was conducted by use of a chat program. There might be heated arguments and discussions going on, and, and there often were, even between people sitting in adjacent cubicles, but there would be no evidence of it. <laughs> except sometimes it was possible to infer anger from some particularly loud sequence of keystrokes on a keyboard or at the worst a fist on the desktop on a desktop early in the afternoon a meeting request appeared in my inbox I disliked meeting in general meetings in general and usually I felt that my time was better spent working so that I would make excuses and avoid them Annoyingly, this meeting was probably one that I would, could not avoid because the general manager was going to be speaking to us. It wasn't that the meeting could, would convey any useful information, but I knew that politically it would not do to sit this meeting out. Management meetings were the worst. To me, managers spoke in a kind of business code or language that was not easily understandable, and I often suspected there was nothing there to understand. What they, often, what they said often seemed to be stock phrases randomly placed in sequence in a way that seemed to sound good and might almost mean something, but then when analysed meant very little. 
I accepted the meeting request and then forgot about it for the remainder of the afternoon until warned by an alert popping up on my desktop that it was time to move. I got up with the rest and went around to an open area where the whole office could stand in a group. I held back so that I was right at the back. Hmm, not sure about that sentence. I hope this sorry. I hope this doesn't interrupt the flow. I mean, if anyone ever reads this, I mean, listens to this. Um, I held back so that I was right. I I hung back so that I was. I didn't foresee sometimes it's so hard to put them in the words I I I stayed in the re I held is that obvious from that I held back so that I was so that I I stayed in the rear that's better i okay sorry about that i stayed in the rear so i could slip away if there was an appropriate if there was an appropriate time and i could do it unnoticed i could see the general manager standing facing towards um just a note um a lot of characters in this book i've got no names for as yet I'm not sure why I'm having difficulty with that, but anyway, so often I may have to use a code. In this case, I've just pretty fairly obviously in I use curly brackets. In this case, it's just curly brackets GM. Um, I could see the general manager standing facing towards forwards, just to the right of the entrance to the kitchen. He wasn't smiling, and it seemed to me that there was a look about him that was concerning. Our normally upbeat leader wasn't in complete control and was becoming uneasy watching his strange manner. He started to speak. I apologize for interrupting your work, to work day, but I have some important news. I'll let you decide if it's good or bad. I need to tell you that this company is in the process of being sold off, not of, to an American software company. I can't at this point reveal the name of this company, but you certainly will have heard of it. I wasn't in favour of this sale. I would have preferred that we main, remained that we remained Australian-owned. Unfortunately, the other directors didn't. Don't share my preference. What this means is that there will be some changes coming for you all, some of which is, as you would expect, that I'll be stepping down from my role and leaving the company. 
Any conversation in the group now completely ceased as the manager paused. I was a little confused, but not particularly worried. Surely a part of the sale would include experienced employees, especially those with skills not common in the industry. The GM was an okay person, but I didn't know how much about him. Management people had always seemed irrelevant to the real work. He continued, the sale will be finalized in a few weeks. <clears throat> and after this, there will be changes. Changes that will affect your jobs. The parent company has plans to rationalize the products and the development. There will be a push to get customers of the legacy products with the aim to get customers off, off the legacy products with the aim of removing those products from support. Certainly new features will no longer be added. What this means is that there will be less need for developers with outdated skills. So your future with the company depends on your ability to transition to work on the newer products. However, there will, be also, however, there will also be a rationalization of staff as the development teams from the parent company merge. This will mean opportunities to move to the US and to work on products you might never have imagined. I don't want to sugarcoat this, however. There will be people in this room, good people with superb skills, people I am proud to work with who nonetheless will lose their positions. <clears throat> As I heard these words, I felt a warm flush of despair. I now felt I knew what was going, actually going to happen to me. I was sure I wouldn't be keeping this job. My arcane knowledge, my security, had given me an end date. I felt that I'd been tricked. I'd, been, I'd spent years making myself useful with skills that were suddenly useless. My career had come to a dead end. It wouldn't matter if I could learn new skills when there were already people who had those skills. Why would time be wasted on me? There was shock on some of the faces I could see, but there were also smiles. It was fairly clear that if you were one of the mostly younger employees working on the newer products, that there was a good chance that you might end up working in the US or at least keeping your jobbing and remaining here. I imagined that many of the architects and analysts would also likely also remain employed, these being the, the employees with the most technical knowledge of the industry and of our company's products and technical strategy. The executive was now speaking again. He explained that he was sympathetic to our, to the obvious, obvious concerns we would have, and he indicated that he had done all he could to recommend us to the new company. He also indicated that his the decision his fellow directors had made to sell was not in any way a reflection of our professionalism, and that he was very proud of the work we had done together. <clears throat> Additionally, he assured us that he could be relied upon to recommend those of us who would not be retained to prospective new employers. And finally, he indicated that HR representatives from both companies would be talking to staff members individually over the next few weeks to discuss options and to offer advice and help. Then the session turned to questions. I stood there for a while, paying no attention to anything more that was said. Then I went back to my cubicle and stood staring out through the window for a while. I felt dazed and disassociated. I had no desire to work. My thoughts drifted around and then fixated on my belief that shortly, after working for so long in this job, I would soon be out there looking for work. I could feel my confidence ebbing away as I thought of the irrelevance of the content of my CV. 
It'd been, a, it'd been a decade since I'd looked for work, and I feared to do so now. After a while, my neighbours started coming back, and I could see the stress on all their faces and the fear on some. We talked a little. Conversations, I'm sure, that were replicated all around the office. The consensus was not positive, but the talk provided some relief. After a while, I turned back to my monitors and worked until the end of the day. After getting home, all I could manage to get to eat were slices of white bread, honey and peanut butter, comfort food. I made more than I needed and afterwards I sat in my chair feeling a little sick, more so from the food than the situation. Normally, sitting here in this chair was soothing, but now my thoughts skidded around until finally they descended into a deep hole that I couldn't easily find my way out of. <clears throat> the problem wasn't money. With that, with what I'd saved and with the severance package I was entitled to, money wouldn't be a problem for years. No, the thought that was causing most of my grief was that perhaps this change meant that my working life in software could be over. There was ageism in this industry and I was well aware that my skills weren't current. I wouldn't get to the point where ageism was the reason for failure. I don't understand what I've written. I wouldn't. I wouldn't get to the point where I. This is a terrible problem when you don't understand the sentence that you've written. I couldn't. I wouldn't get to the point where ageism was the reason for failure. So there would be no successful job applications. Uh, I think I don't understand what that means. I think it means that. I wouldn't even get that far in the interview process, I think. Not sure about that one. <clears throat> if I wanted to work or when the time came that I had to, I would have to take some lesser role. And the ultimate horror I felt was that perhaps one day... One day, I'm, I might be forced to work in management. As I thought of this, I was filled with, with depression. I might complain about the long hours and the frustrations of the work, if this work, but for many years it provided nearly all the meaning in my life. Now it seemed to me that it was likely a large chunk of my life might be obliterated. Over the next couple of weeks, I tried to work as normal, but always in the background I was waiting for the worst news. There were some resignations... Some people left in disgust or preemptively, or perhaps out of pride, not wait, waiting to be asked to leave. I envied these people their confidence. Then in the third week, on Tuesday afternoon, I came back to my desk after a short walk to find a letter sitting on the keyboard. I had no doubt what it would be. I opened it and at first, the only word I saw was retrenchment. Retrenched, I should say. It was a simple letter. The main points were I was no longer required. Wave, notice period of mutual agreement, payout figure, and thanks for all your hard work. In summary, goodbye, we don't need you anymore, and leave as soon as you can. No talks or counselling, just a seemingly anonymous letter saying, in effect, don't come back next week. The, next few, the last few days of work were strange. There was a surreal quality about the familiar surroundings, if, as if my workplace was just slightly transparent, or as if the walls, which I thought sold, were just paper screens. 
On the Friday, there was to be a leaving party for those of us retrenched in what was the first wave, or as I saw it, those least wanted. I didn't want to be at that party, but I felt compelled to attend. I couldn't exactly say why, but except perhaps to prolong some nostalgic feelings I had for the work and the people. It was a long-held habit of mine to arrive at work early, and my last day was no different. I sat down in front of my workstation and logged on, but the whole morning I just browsed the internet, skimming tech news and reading blogs, wasting time. There was nothing that I was required to do, and I felt utterly lost as a result. At the lunch, I sat nervously with my stomach in knots, hardly speaking or interacting. I ate a meal I'd chosen almost at random. At some point, I'd been asked to say a few words, which I managed to do, but after what that, I had receded into the background by virtue of long practice, and soon I managed to disappear from the conversation altogether. And then, as soon as I felt I could, by which I mean with the least embarrassment, I left the table and walked back to the office. There was almost no one there. Certainly no one acknowledged me as I walked to my workstation. I sat down in my familiar chair and wrote the expected last email. A simple farewell and and good luck to all. I did not include my private email or any other contact details. As soon as I was sure the email was sent, I shut the workstation down, not wanting to see any of the replies or their absence. Then I sat for a while looking at the black screens in front of me, reticent to leave. Leaving would formalise the end of the job, and this frightened me. After I felt I could wait no longer, and hoping I would not be noticed, I got up and... 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 comma. Carrying my pack in one hand, walked out of the office. It was done. Immediately I crossed over the road outside and into the park in order to avoid running into anyone coming back from the lunch. The thought that this was cowardly shamed me. The shame mixed in with with a collection of emotions that worsened as I got further away from the office. Soon I felt so bad that I imagined I would be overcome. I didn't know if I should scream or cry or begin to swear uncontrollably. Unemployment felt like a failure, like a slap across the face. Perhaps I would faint and only the cold the co- only the cold later on in the evening would wake me. But I kept on walking, robotically and with my head down, on through the trees along the familiar path. When I reached the lake shore I looked up and took in the beauty of the scene in front of me. The wide expanse of slightly choppy water, surrounded by a sandy jogging track, and around that the grass and trees of the park. The beautiful scene jolted me out of my horrible inward stare. I was frightened that what I had begun to feel had been the precursor to a nervous breakdown, as if my brain had almost locked up with the pain. Now, as I looked about me, I felt that perhaps the worst might be behind me. I continued walking, slowly, walking almost randomly but heading in the direction of home. But I didn't want to go home immediately, not wanting to be alone, so I walked past my block of flats and stopped in a cafe in Elwood. I ordered nervously and then sat at a table near the front window, just staring out and every now and then browsing randomly on my phone. The interior of the cafe was classic. It was a long, narrow room with solid, well-used wooden furniture. Old photographs were dotted on the walls. There was a sign indicating, indicating the brand of Italian coffee used, a large brass and chrome coffee machine with cups warming, and a general air of well-kept decay. Real or contrived, I couldn't tell. And as I listened to the ambient conversations around me and watched the, and watched the people walking back and forth outside, the, th- outside the, thought, the thought occurred to, 
to me that if this was some indication of what my life would look like now, then perhaps I might even be happy. I was unemployed but relatively wealthy. My health was good and nothing that had happened to me was in any way terrible. As I sat enjoying the coffee, I began to feel that there might be hope. I felt a vague, unusual feeling of happiness and calm. That evening, I ate a healthy meal and went to bed early, reading until I fell asleep. And that's the end of chapter one. And I'm going to have to stop here because my voice is nearly gone. I think I need to find out a way of I didn't a way of reading without losing my voice. I didn't realize this would that would be the problem. Um. In any case, thanks for listening.